Welcome to 200 a Day, the podcast where we talk about the 70s television detective show, The Rockford Files, as well as the 90s TV movies, The Rockford Files. <laughs> I'm Nathan Paletta. And I'm Epidiah Ravishaw. We are indeed going back to the 90s uh, for mm-hmm. a long, maybe not long anticipated, but uh, after far, <laughs> far too long of a break. Yes. Uh, yeah. To look at the fifth movie uh from the decade 1996's friends and foul play this is uh normally where one of us asks the other why this was chosen and i think that this just arose naturally from our uh last episode when we were uh, the ending of our last episode right mm-hmm. yeah in our q a episode we had a good question um about the transition or whether there was any particular kind of lore uh between the 70s and the and the 90s. If this is your first episode, you can go back one to listen to us talk about that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the basic history is that The Rockford Files ended its sixth season early due to illness, essentially, as, as uh, James Garner was too injured <laughs> and physically <laughs> worn down to continue shooting the show. This then tumbled into a long, drawn-out legal uh legal battle between Garner and Garner's production company and Universal mm-hmm. um, about, you know, whether he'd, you know, had he reneged on his contract, had they paid, had Universal been been doing the accounting correctly, and uh, actually led to a, a big rift where Garner refused to do, to do work for Universal or NBC um, for a long time. And then that eventually did get resolved. And one little quirk about these movies is that, um, so these were actually, uh, they ended up, um, being picked up by CBS. And, mm. uh, one quirk about the, the movies was that they could have been shooting some of them on universal lots, but James Garner still refused to set foot <laughs> on those properties. <laughs> That's great. Um, yeah. So there's a, there, there's a history there, uh, that is, Worth going into if you're interested, but we're not going to go into it now because we have an entire movie to talk about. Yeah. This one is directed by Stuart Margolin, who also directed the most recent episode that we talked about, and written by OG Stephen Cannell. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And it it shows. I mean, there's... uh, Well, it shows in that there's some good Stephen Cannell dialogue Mm -hmm. uh, from time to time in it. Um, Yeah, I I enjoyed this episode. Uh, Sorry, movie. All right, the runtime is what? Two hours? Made for TV movie? Yeah, two hours. It's hard to distinguish between television and movies these days. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. And and, in that way, this was ahead of its time. (laughs) (laughs) So I was watching this... (laughs) So the current situation of my uh, living room area involves... <laughs> Good, I was hoping for an update. <laughs> it involves some, some toddler control mechanisms. So there's, right. so there's some gates up. And so without going too, too into boring detail, the uh, face of my Blu-ray player was obscured at the time by a towel that was dr- being dried and was draped over one of these gates. So not only did I have to do the high angle remote oh yeah, yeah. To, to, to actually pause it and stuff, um, I couldn't see the display. So I was in a state of blissful ignorance as to the remaining runtime. <laughs> and I'm also pausing to take notes and stuff. So like my sense of the pacing is a little all over the place, but yeah. it does... 
do it does have like a false finish Mm -hmm. yeah and then more story (laughs) not not false in the sense of of untrue but uh sorry that's in the in the pro wrestling sense where there is a something you think is the end um and then and it comes to one resolution but then there's there's more story to tell and it comes to a second resolution i had a little bit more control over the uh how much time was left uh uh, which is something that I definitely do. It's uh, God. This is, okay, this is deep dark confession time. When when I watch these and you know write up my notes, I am acutely aware of how much time is left in mm-hmm. each episode. Because and I don't know if you do this too, but like it, it's not that I'm not enjoying myself, but it somehow fell into the category of my brain of being work. And so right. I'm like trying to get it done before whatever my schedule for when I should get my work done right, right, yeah. is, you know what I mean? Like, it's not a real thing. It's not a, it's not a, uh, a hard line or anything that exists in reality at all. It's just a habit that has formed over the years of being self-employed, of having like a understanding of how much work that needs to get done. And then an understanding of like when in the day you want to make sure you're done with it so that you can move on with your life and do other things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 For sure. Uh, and uh, all of that sounds like I'm about to complain about it, but I'm not. What it, what that did was create this really weird moment where that false finish you talked about happened. And my brain was like, oh, you got done with work early today. <laughs> <laughs> and there was definitely a moment where I, I, I sat there and thought, wait, this is longer, isn't it? This is like <laughs> what um, I did the this weird thing in my head where I was, I'm very used to long credits now and thought, Oh, maybe the, you know, the, the next 20 minutes are just credits or something. (laughs) It was not. Um, Yeah. I think my version of that again, didn't really impact this viewing. uh, But when we're for the regular TV length mm -hmm. episodes, my version of that, I think is that part of my brain is looking at, the pacing of the episode. So I'm checking the timestamp to kind of be like, okay, is this like, is this part of the dramatic arc? Is it happening like on pace for the full length of the episode? Or is it peaking a little early? What does that mean if it's peaking a little early or that kind of stuff? Um, It's just part of the kind of like analytical framework um, that I notice that I don't really do when I'm, you know, just watching something. Uh, but again, in this case, I was not looking at the time, so I got to not worry about that as much. Yay. Um, but yeah, it is a long one and we'll, uh, probably we're talking a little bit before we started recording and this is like, it's a full movie. Like, right. It's, it's, it's not like there's a lot of filler and it's not like it's stuffed. It's like, a comfortable amount of stuff for the time. Yeah. Um, but a lot of it, I think we can kind of summarize and then we'll just kind of jump around to whatever stuck out to us. Uh, yeah. Because going through at the more granular level, our episode will just be too long. <laughs> yeah. Our pacing will be off to the point where you'd be sick of it. That's what we're, that's what we're sticking with. That's what we're saying. Now <laughs> you can look yeah. at the uh, timestamp for this episode and see exactly <laughs> how badly we, we mess up this, uh, this goal. Witness our hubris. We're going to take a quick break to say thank you to our patrons over at patreoncom slash 200 a day. Thanks to you, we are a 100% listener-supported show. We extend special thanks to our Gumshoe patrons supporting this episode. Chuck from WhatYou'reReading.com, Paul Townend, who also recommends the podcast Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color at FruitLoopsPod.com, 
Shane Liebling. Check out his dice rolling app, Roll for Your Party, for all of your online gaming needs at rollforyour.party. Jayadon. Check out his amazing miniature painting skills over at jayadon.com. Dale Norwood, Dave P., Dale Church, Dave Otterson, Kip Hawley, and Matthew Lee. And finally, we can't thank our detective patrons enough for their generous support. Eric Antenor, at Antenor on Twitter. Brian Pereira, at Thermoware. Bill Anderson, at BillAnd88. And of course, Richard Haddam, at Richard Haddam. We follow them too, at 200pod. Why become a patron for as little as $1 an episode? In addition to supporting the show and exclusive episode previews, our patrons get Plus Expenses, a bonus podcast where we casually chat about media we're enjoying and the things going on in our lives. An episode of Plus Expenses comes out in advance of every episode of 200 a day. Help out the show by leaving a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts. Tell a friend who you think would like it. And check out patreon.com slash 200 a day to see if becoming a patron is right for you. There's no opening montage. Uh, we just have our good harmonica, yeah. harmonica with rock synth and guitar yeah. 90s theme. That was literally my first note was speaking of music. Because again, in the previous episode, mm-hmm. uh, I, I do not remember who asked us about um, making notes about the music. And we I know we called out the 90s thing, but we it, did, it yeah. felt so good to hear it again and realize just <laughs> how. And I, I think I could better characterize it now. It feels like a late 80s remake of the Rockford Files theme song as someone would imagine it in the mid to late 90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, it certainly doesn't call to any of the music that exists. N- none of the contemporary music in 96, right. yeah, 96. sounds like this. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but it certainly does sound or or it sounds like someone in in the year uh in in more recent years trying to look back and and recreate a 90s sound without actually having listened to 90s music. What kind of struck me not about the theme necessarily because the theme is very self-evidently yeah, the theme. Yeah, it's there. Yeah. But um the Throughout the rest of the movie, a lot of the incidental music and transition music and stuff, a lot of that, because I was paying attention to it again, just as you said, because we have just were asked about it. So now I'm like, I need to really pay attention to the music. A lot of it actually struck me as extremely average (laughs) in the rest of the movie. Yeah. And, And what came to mind was like, yeah, this sounds like made for TV movie music. Yeah. Which I think is a genre. (laughs) <laughs> uh yeah definitely i think um we were just talking about like what's the difference between tv and movie uh and there is there is this thing this made for tv movie that uh i don't feel like exists in any any way anymore i don't know are there movies made for tv in the same way that there were in the 90s because like yeah it's all made for streaming if anything right, right? like uh yeah the 80s and 90s 70s too um and probably the 60s. I don't, I don't know. I'm not a TV historian. I <laughs> I shouldn't be on a podcast. Um, but, like, I do remember a lot of made-for-TV movies uh, when I was younger. And uh, I suspect that, to some extent, they got churned out, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and part of the process of churning something out like that is is having either a formula or something to rely upon for things like music and credits and opening sequences not saying that like any of this was particularly phoned in but yeah i agree the music stood out and how it did not stand out aside from 
the theme song. Uh, actually, I should say it particularly stood out during the diary sequences. Mm, yeah, yeah. I don't think we'll go into each diary sequence, but I think when we get to the first one, we'll we'll probably do some talking about these these diary sequences. Yeah, for sure. Well, this movie starts with our credits over that theme um, mm-hmm. and some nice aerial shots of Malibu as we get our good 90s big serif font. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Rockford Files. Yeah, it does stand out a little bit in how it, it doesn't look like the Rockford Files mm-hmm. title sequence at all. Hey, it was the 90s. Everything had to be different. Uh, for some reason, at the beginning of this episode, I was thinking about it as what the experience would be for someone who had never watched the Rockford Files right, and was right. just kind of like in the 90s was presented with this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I do like the these sort of gorgeous aerial shots of the beach and stuff like that. And you're coming closer and closer to Rockford's trailer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, the way I describe that is not exactly how it, it it's probably wouldn't play out in your head the way it actually plays out. But like, it just had this feel of like, uh, yeah, this is all very beautiful, but here's this rundown old guy. <laughs> right. Right. Although the trailer, like again, we know, yeah. In the nineties, it's a, it's a little more spacious. It's mm-hmm. a little bigger. Uh, yeah, we, we end with a nice establishing shot of the Firebird and Rocky, what we know to be Rocky's red pickup, yeah. which, you know, is, is still there is a in memoriam, I think. Yeah. Little riff. Uh, again, as discussed previously, this is well after um, Noah Beery uh, passed away. Passed away. So yeah. He's, we see his photo in one shot later. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is also past when they did like a dedicated little, and he's mentioned at one point actually in a, in a, in a yeah, yeah. But yeah, so the, the truck and the Firebird are in front of the trailer. And this whole movie, the axis of this movie revolves around the walk between Jim's front door and yes. the Sand Dollar <laughs> restaurant that's across <laughs> the parking lot. We're going to mm-hmm. see that walk a lot and we're going to spend a lot of time in the restaurant. In our initial walk, we have Jim getting into the, or he, he's walking across and he encounters Zookie the Bookie. <laughs> Um, who seems straight out of the 70s show, mm-hmm. um, waiting for uh, for the, uh, did I say Sand Dollar? I think you did. Isn't it Sand Castle? The Sand Castle, yeah. Real-time correction, Sand Castle. <laughs> uh, Jim and, and Zookie are going in. They're the first customers of the day at the Sand Castle. And we get this little portrait of, of them just being the absolute regulars, right? Like, yeah. everyone greets them by name. Uh, they know their order. Zuki goes and sits at the bar immediately, and it's yes. you know, 10 a.m. first thing, right? While Jim goes to his regular booth. And and we get a clear indication that Zuki is an alcoholic uh, and that everyone knows even before they say Because right. I, I think um, the bartender makes a comment about... Like uh, 10 a.m. awful early or something like that? Or I wrote this line down. This I should have written the other one down, but the, the where Jim says leon's the name of the bartender says you know good morning leon or something like that mm-hmm. he responds, ain't no morning is a good morning jim right. <laughs> well and then he he continues to say that nothing's going right for him these days and jim says yeah. things get better and this is i'm as i see my note i'm like ah this mm-hmm. is actually a uh, a motif or not even a motif a theme that yes. we will come back to at the end of the at the end of the movie, well after I'd completely <laughs> forgotten about this scene. Um, so Jim sits down. He gets his his regular, which is a Denver omelet. Yeah, and the waitress uh, Babs uh, settles in to to talk to him. So we are going to go through 
a pretty extended scene um, introducing us to Babs and getting mm-hmm. the, getting getting our initial premise going. She starts by, yeah, putting in due text, um, says that they're all starting to get worried about Zookie because he's been showing he's been showing up earlier and earlier waiting for the place to open so he can go in and go to the bar, which is pretty rough. <laughs> and then she's also been asking Jim to ask Dennis about something. So what we learn over the course of this conversation, uh, Babs has, um, she has two sons. We're talking about mm-hmm. one of them in particular here, uh, Cal. And Cal, Cal was killed. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's been 18 months or so. So it's been, you know, a while. Uh, the last thing that he was doing before they found his body was he was painting, he had a painting gig and he was painting yeah. a pool house for a mobster. Uh, happy Cortillo. And so she thinks that Cortillo killed her son, but there's no evidence to that effect. Uh, It's essentially a cold case. Like they just found his body in a canyon or something. As we're talking about it right now, I cannot for the life of me recall if the official police line, I think the official police line is a cold case murder and not a, uh, not like an accident or something accident or anything like that. Yeah. I was trying to, for some reason I'm blanking on that, but um, they clearly aren't interested in investigating the case. And she is. Cause she, she's convinced that she knows what, what happened. And she has yeah. this whole thing where she sent the autopsy report to this other lab that does like animal oh. autopsies. And so yeah. the gag here is that she's explaining to Jim. So Jim gets his omelet. He takes one bite of his omelet on camera. This is so good. <laughs> and then she starts explaining all the like intricacies of the stomach enzymes and how much <laughs> material was still in his colon and, you know, all this stuff and like how he always had a, he always had a peanut butter sandwich for lunch. And so the the rate of, of, of digestion of all the things that he would have eaten, this all indicates that he was killed earlier in the day than the cops say he yeah. was killed, which means that he could have been killed before when uh, Cortello had an alibi. He was at a, he was at church or something like right, during right. the time frame that the cops say the murder would have happened. Uh, so Jim, in the face of getting all this very detailed uh, information about, uh, stomach enzymes uh, loses his appetite mm-hmm. and pushes his omelet away. It's just a wonderful scene. I just like you know it's coming. You, you just yeah, you yeah. see him sit down with food, and then she's. I don't even remember what the first thing is, but the the so it just keeps going and going, and then she starts talking about his colon. Yeah, <laughs> it was just like. And then there, there's a button on it where she's like, "Oh, is there a problem with the omelet?" Right. And he's like, "No, the omelet's fine." <laughs> um. But Babs has been staking out the house of this mobster every night because mm-hmm. she, if she can catch him doing something, then at least she can b- bring him to justice in some way mm-hmm. uh, and, and do right by her, by her dead son. She says that he can't just kill her son and walk away. Jim's been laying out how there's all this lack of evidence, how he's gone to Dennis and Dennis is starting to get mad at him. Because he's asking him about this cold case that Dennis doesn't have anything to do with and can't do anything to help with, right? And so he's trying to kind of talk her down, and she ends this first scene with, I'm sorry you're not willing to help me. I thought we were friends. (laughs) And this clearly gets Jim. He throws down his fork and chases after her and uh, tells her that she can't just follow this mobster around. It's just going to make him angry. And she says, well, then that will make us even. So as always, I spend time trying to figure out how Jim tries to get out of the Mm. case. 
and how people rope them in. And when she said, I thought we were friends, I was like, this is this is kind of a classic line. This right, is how you right. get Jim to, to do things for you. He's still only half in the case at this point, right? Like he, he's, he's more worried. He doesn't really care. I mean, maybe not care, but he's he's worried about her. He doesn't have any investment in this murder or solving yeah. a murder or whatever. But the fact that she is putting herself into danger because she thinks that it went yeah. down a certain way, that's what he is worried about. A big difference between how she investigates and how Jim investigates. I mean, investigates is a strong word. Yeah. Um, we'll find out more, but she really wants the mobster to know that she's watching him. Right, right. She feels like that's going to to sit on his conscience or or whatever. And Jim Jim knows that that is bad, bad news. Right. And there's this exchange in there because Cartello's nickname, because he's a mobster, he needs a nickname. Right. Is Happy Cartello. This is written by by Cattle after all. So yeah, yeah, it is exactly. <laughs> Uh, and so, and I loved this exchange where Jim's like, they don't call him happy because he's happy. And she just pauses. She goes, why do they call him happy? And Jim, I, I don't know. <laughs> like, and there's a payoff to that. There's a good payoff to that. Yeah. Yeah. Can we, before we get further into it, can we talk really quick about how I find such absolute continuity between 70s rockford and right 90s rockford that it does not like at no point am i like oh man he's old or like <laughs> right exactly yeah it doesn't uh it's not like he's back on the case it's that he's always been on the case yeah yeah there's just he i'm i think we probably say this about all the movies especially since he got the haircut in the first movie he had the like fraser crane haircut with like yeah. the, like the mullet at the back that to me, make someone look 10 years older than they actually are. Yeah. <laughs> um, once he lost that, all of these actors inhabit these characters so well that as a viewer of the show, there's just no like yeah. feeling of discontinuity or weirdness about seeing them, you know, this many years later in this new context. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. Like the, it, it just feels uh, for the most part, like, I'm sitting down to watch a Rockford Files and right. nothing has changed. Yeah, I would agree. Well, I'm glad we're I'm glad we agree about that. <laughs> so yes, we can talk about that. And now we have. Well, then we have, yes. Okay. So uh it's the end of the day and Babs is leaving and Jim Jim stops her as she's uh driving out of the parking lot in her old beater. Uh he wants to make up after their argument. Uh but and he but he does specifically want to try and warn her away from continuing to stake out happy cartillo's house yeah as her friend and a seasoned pi it's a seriously bad idea <laughs> but she refuses to back down Un unfortunately we <laughs> don't spend a lot of time with babs yeah but we do get the picture of a very i think i don't know i think very understandable state of like i've gone through this terrible tragedy there has been no resolution mm -hmm. and i have no control over what happened but i do have control over this and what i have control yeah. over is making this guy who i think is responsible for the death of my son know that i'm watching <laughs> like i don't yeah. know if she even realistically thinks it's going to achieve anything it's the only tool she has right now right. it's the only leverage she has and even if it's a bad idea that's what she needs exactly and she doesn't have anything else she can do but she mm -hmm. has to do something and the something in this case is i'm going to sit in my car outside his gate every night yeah. which is you know not great 
<laughs> no, no, it's a bad place to be. I feel. I mean, it's a what a terrible state to be in. Um, so Jim, of course, can't let her commit suicide this way. No, which is yeah. again a kind of a weird foreshadow statement. And says, "All right, let's go." And she gets in her gets in the passenger seat, and she gives a big smile, and they head out. Uh, she parks directly in front of their gate, and Jim's line is, "We're more obvious than Quakers at a barn dance." <laughs> this is, uh, yeah, we get more about what's important to her. It's almost more that he knows that she's watching rather than getting any actual, you know, satisfaction yeah. out of this. Um, I noticed that they took off their seatbelts after she backed up and put the parking brake on. I'm now hyper aware <laughs> of seatbelt wearing after yes. the standards and practices note from a couple episodes ago. We also learned that. So her, so her one son, Cal, the one who that, that died, he was like really good. Everyone loved him. He was mm-hmm. working really hard. He's putting himself through college or she was working and he was working to put him through college. And then she has another son, Corey, and he's, he's the bad one. <laughs> Mm-hmm. he's dealing drugs, he's getting arrested, and she doesn't understand how they could have turned out so different. We have some some reminiscences about, and also, you know, Rockford knows, basically, Babs has been working at this restaurant for 10 years, I think, and so yeah. Jim has known her this long, and so has known both of her kids as they've grown up, and he knows about her and her life, yeah. in a way, at least. Um, he specifically says that when Cal died, Rocky, who was the best judge of character he ever knew, said that he was so good, God could only loan him to us. Yeah, it's a great line. That's such a rocky. <laughs> such a rocky line. I Okay, so this this gets into um, a little bit of the mystery mystery. Mm-hmm. This is a, a whodunit, right? I think, I don't know, I think that... Who do you think done it? Yeah, I am primed as a Rockford Files viewer to assume Happy did it, and we're just trying to figure out how Jim's going to... Right. To, to get happy. Uh, but when this line happens, and it could be just because of uh, our particular experience of having to go through each, having to, our particular experience <laughs> of getting to go through each episode. Having the privilege of going through having each Having the privilege, yes. Um, that line, Rocky was probably the best judge of character I ever knew, is objectively false. <laughs> like, we know <laughs> that. Yep. Yes. <laughs> A horrendous judge of character. <laughs> um, so that uh, it set me on what I I cannot tell if in retrospect, I think that line is delivered earnestly. And I think in the moment, everyone involved believes it. Yes. But at the time when I saw it, I thought, oh, so uh, <laughs> if Rocky thought he was so good. Right. Like he's up. He was up to something. Right. Like, right. The, the sort of tragedy of this story will be that Jim will find out that this perfect kid was up to something. And uh, spoilers, uh, but that remains with me uh, up to the end of the episode. And then I'm like, oh, not at all. And there are other <laughs> moments where it felt like they were pointing at that. And now that I look back on it, I think that was all purely accidental. I think, yeah, I think you're reading that in a little heavier. I think this is yeah. a Rocky is gone now. Right. Right. Yeah. So, like, Jim's not going to say anything bad about him. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, yeah, and Ro- and and Babs knew Rocky from this context. And, like, this is a comforting thing that he's saying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, yes, our our particular uh, Rockford Files brain damage does, <laughs> <laughs> yes. does mean that sometimes it's like, wait a second. <laughs> um, this reminisce is, is cut short as a car does come out of the gate and they follow. They're falling close enough that we can read the license plate, which is Happy 2. <laughs> and Jim tries to get her 
to tail correctly. Just drop back. We're trying to tail him, not tick him off. Stay back, Babs. Do it my way, will you? And this is where I think we see, and she's like, <laughs> no, I want him to know that I'm here. Yeah. Like, I'm always watching, right? Uh, and so this time the car that she's following slows down and pulls over and she follows and stops. And Jim's like, why are you slowing down? Why are you stopping? <laughs> <laughs> because Jim has, Jim has a fundamental misunderstanding of what her goal here is. Yeah, yeah. The man himself, happy Cartello, his door is open for him by his driver. And he comes out with a maniacal oh. laugh on his face. He's played by David Provol. Mm-hmm. He's played by a guy you have seen in mobster movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like this guy, if if I said, imagine a guy who's a mobster. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think he goes on to be in Sopranos, right? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, every mobster that was in the Rockford Files <laughs> showed up in the Sopranos at some point. But yes, yes, he uh, he plays Richie April. Richie April? I seem to be in quite a few episodes. So if you, I've never seen those Sopranos. So that's uh, that's a hole in my panel experience. I think that might be our, our spiritual success successor show. Like, yeah, now that we've watched all the Rockford Files. Time to watch the Sopranos. Oh wow, this guy! I never would have guessed this. This guy was the voice of Peace in Wizards, huh. which is just a weird intersection with my other interests. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he's he's quite the character. Mm-hmm. I think there'll be a better time to talk about him uh, in a few yeah, scenes. Yeah. But what happens here is he comes over, Jim oh, rolls God. down his window and says hi, and Cortillo punches him in the face. Yes. <laughs> and then pulls him out, and uh, as Jim later explains, karate kicks him <laughs> to send him flying. Jim's big weakness has always been the karate kick. Yes. And he sends him rolling down the, the, the verge to his, on the side of this road. And then he grabs Babs. And threatens her, but then he says, like, I never hit a skirt or something like that. Yeah. I think the implication here, here is that since she brought someone else, he finally has the opportunity to confront her. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he basically threatens her, tells her to stop following him, you know, kind of gives her a push. And she ends up uh, where where Jim is when we see that his eye, like he's all bleeding from around his eye where he got punched. And he's he's been laughing this whole time, right? Yes. Yeah, he's just maniacally giggling almost and so jim says now we know why they call him happy yes um we uh go to the uh, hospital where jim's getting stitched up there's a uniform cop there where jim is giving a statement to and he wants to file an assault charge (laughs) and this cop he's great he's kind of like so i just want you to know that (laughs) you're not the first person this has happened to however right most people decide to drop the charges. Right, I can't yeah. say why. <laughs> <laughs> That's just how it goes. Uh, everyone knows who this mobster is, right? Mm-hmm. So he wants to be absolutely sure that Jim's going to follow through with it before getting into all the legal BS, as he says. Uh, the, all that, that whole legal system tying our hands. Yeah. Jim is so sure that his palms are itching. <laughs> the next day, we're back at the restaurant. Zuki's there early as per usual, and Jim couldn't sleep, so they're in there like first thing as soon as they open the door. Uh, Jim wants to talk to Babs, but it's her day off because it's mm-hmm. Saturday or whatever. Leon asks if Jim got bounced like a bad check. So he has a big bandage <laughs> over his eye. So Jim, you know, tells him what happened, and they're they're like, 
that's who you decided to mess with? Because mm-hmm. everyone knows this guy. And Ziggy says he's called Happy because he has an overactive adrenal gland. And it dumps adrenaline into his system and he doesn't know and he can't control himself. So, And uh, I did not do the research to find out if this is a thing. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's certainly effective uh, later on in, in, in this episode. Mm-hmm. I want to point out, this is just like a minor background detail. Jim is clearly so comfortable here at this restaurant that he pours his own coffee. Yeah, he goes over to where the mugs are, like, on a rack for the yeah. servers to take, and he takes those mugs, and yeah. Yeah, uh, it, it's yeah, it's not it does it's not the kind of restaurant where you would do that. It's just that Jim is such a regular, and he comes in first thing in the morning. Other people are doing their own things or whatever. Right. He grabs the carafe with the orange on it. Right. Is Jim drinking decaf? Mm, I didn't notice that. That's a question for our listeners. Because <laughs> <laughs> this is first thing in the morning. If I understand drinking decaf later in the day. If right. you're just like, oh, I'd like some coffee, but I can't, you know, I wouldn't be able. To. But he, he's been up all night. Right. Unless he's thinking he's going to get back to bed at some point. But anyways, something to ponder. Mm-hmm. One of the mysteries of the universe. Maybe a production thing where... He's not going to drink black coffee during every shot. So yeah, exactly. They just <laughs> brew. They, they just brew decaf just in case. Yeah, I don't know. Good question. And yes, part of his comfort extends to he's just talking to everyone's. Just like he's just bouncing stuff off of people. He's just talking to everyone. Yeah. you know, telling them the story. Um, everyone agrees that it was a bad move filing charges, and we see that Jim has talked himself into withdrawing the complaint overnight. Yeah, but last night I was mad, you know, and I got up this morning and I started thinking, hey, it's a small town, everybody has a bad moment now and then, maybe I caught Cortello on a bad day. So maybe the right thing to do is just say, hey, no hard feelings, let's all move on down the road. Hey, it's damn sure the right thing to do unless you want to take advantage of Forrest Lawn's annual special. Well, not that I'm scared of this meltdown, I can handle him. I'm sure you oh, can. Yeah, I know. Stuff happens. Absolutely. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> this old man circle of talking uh, talking himself out of it like he's thinking maybe i should remove the complaint or something like that and just listening to all of these guys like yeah no that's like i don't know it's just fun hearing all of them try and justify the thing that he knows is wrong to mm-hmm. do but also like for self-preservation he should probably do it right right um yeah and you get the sense that like this is a group where he's not going to get a lot of pushback. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, well, he wants to go tell Babs that he's withdrawing the complaint, so she shouldn't try to... So at the hospital, she's like, I'll sign it too, I was a witness. And he <laughs> told her that she should stay out of it. Um, so he wants to go tell her that what he's doing so that she stays out of it. So he gets her address from Leon and goes to her place. And I guess he could have called her, sure. But I think this is also like he wants to go kind of like explain himself to her. There's there's a couple things about this that... Uh, so narratively, it's convenient that he's going to her place. Right, right. Part of that whole discussion with the uh, trying to withdraw the complaint, I couldn't tell if that was Jim running a small con <laughs> to get her address to go and check on her. Oh. Right? Because he does need to get her address, right? Like that right. he doesn't have it and right, right. Uh, he needs to get it from them. I don't think anyone was reluctant to give it to him. They just it just required more work than standing there and not doing it. Which yeah. we get it we get the picture of Leon as very like, what do you want me to do? Right. <laughs> this will come up later. He's very grumpy. He yeah. has a very uh pessimistic view of human nature. Mm-hmm. 
he doesn't see he doesn't seem to appreciate the idea of putting yourself out there for you know when you don't need to i would say then that going to her place is jim's strongest move just because of all the conversations he's had with her so far yeah, on yeah, screen yeah. he's not going to be able to convince her over the phone so exactly. yeah yeah it didn't strike it didn't strike me as weird in the moment there's some stuff in this in this in this movie that does strike me as yeah not super smooth uh, right but this wasn't one of them i was just to the invisible critic in in my head was like why didn't he just call her i'm like because he wanted to talk to her in person because that's how he's more comfortable like yeah yes <laughs> i think that's a simple answer um anyway so he goes to her place there's no answer to the front door he sees that the mail hasn't been picked up yet so he pokes around the back door is open and we get a swell of ominous walking through the house music yeah as jim walks through the house and there's a very sad shot of him seeing her in her bed she is clearly it's actually a little hard to tell from the framing but i think she's been shot right i mean we know that later yeah but, yeah we turn it later but yeah. yeah but from his reaction and seeing her in the bed she is clearly dead and uh it's a strong acting facial acting moment of yeah of of uh Jim's Jim's reaction to that uh and it's rough. I was anticipating it because we read the episode description yeah. in advance and knew that she gets killed. Um but it's a rough one. But then I guess as Rockford fans business starts to pick up in the next scene. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow. As the yeah. next thing that I've been anticipating because of the episode description uh comes up. So our next scene here is going to be uh during the funeral. Jim's there, obviously. Her friends from the restaurant are there. But then they're getting interrupted by a van full of college kids. <laughs> they are a criminology class that is being <laughs> taught by Captain Chapman. <laughs> and in partnership with a uh, with a, a professor, uh, with a Dr. Trish George, who will... will get to know more in, in the future um but for whatever reason captain chapman is in charge of this class and wants them to see some firsthand criminology techniques and investigation stuff i don't know he's brought a van load of kids to this yes <laughs> <laughs> to to this uh funeral to observe becker observing the graveside behavior of the <laughs> attendees it is uh, a hell of a thing. I'm just going to go through some, some some greatest hits here, and then we'll go yeah, into yeah. whatever you want to talk about. So first of all, this is also the first place where we meet Corey, her other, Babs' other now oh, surviving yeah, yeah. son, who's wearing dark glasses. Uh, he's a bad boy. He's clearly a bad boy. And he. I think we see him, like, he, he asked Jim a couple questions, like, seems expensive. Who's picking up the tab? Like, right, kind of yeah, stuff. he's... And then he grabs a tree, like he jumps up and like hangs off of a tree branch, like just to, I don't know, because he's, he's being so demonstrably bored at his mother's funeral. Yeah, exactly. And so my reaction is like, this guy looks like he's out of central casting for a 90s uh, vampire, <laughs> the masquerade yes. character. I looked at his IMDb. This is the actor is uh, Ivan Sagai. Sagi, and he was in fact in an episode of the Kindred the Embraced <laughs> series earlier Perfect. in 1996. So nailed it. <laughs> yeah, no, that is exactly that is the best way to describe him, and you are absolutely correct. 
We get Becker being mad at Chapman because Chapman is bringing in a bunch of kids to mess with his investigation, but he can't do anything about it because Chapman's also his boss. Uh, we get Chapman being mad at Jim because Jim is there, and Jim is mad at Chapman because they're disturbing this funeral of his friend, which makes yeah. sense. Uh, but J- but Chapman's uh, these are budding criminologists. They're all criminology or pre-law majors. <laughs> The emphasis on the pre-law was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there's there's definitely something going on here where Chapman feels like he's he's um, I don't know what like he he's going to win the influence of future powerful lawyers or something or yeah it's hard to tell or like the the sheen of education is going to yeah. like rub off like he's going to seem like a more important person because he's teaching a college class of. Or something. Yeah, because Dennis at some point lists the benefits that Be- that um, Chapman's getting, and they do include an honorary degree, I think, right, or something right. like that. Yeah. So yeah, something like that. But yeah, it, it's there's he definitely thinks that this is his way towards some sort of legitimacy. Mm-hmm. I mean, like it's fine if it's just he's got an entire captive audience. Right, right. It's kind of an ego hanging on his right. every word. Is, yeah, is a lot of it too. Yeah. Let's see, uh, Chapman p- points out Jim. He's the one who found the body. Over the years, he's found lots of bodies. <laughs> <laughs> Such a good luck. Uh, Jim tells off Dr. Trish George, um, you know, for interfering with this moment and everything. Uh, Dennis is telling him not to piss off Chapman because Chapman's just going to make it difficult for everyone. And we see some of the women in the class making eyes at Corey because he is this hot bad boy with a motorcycle. And then we actually end the scene with one of them getting on his motorcycle. And uh, they peel off in one direction and Jim peels out in the firebird in the firebird in the other direction. Um, We get a lot of good angry Chapman, angry Jim, angry Dennis. Uh, Jim, can I talk to you for a minute? Oh, my God, Dennis. Just shut up and listen, okay? Chapman is out of line, but you don't want to get him riled up. What is this? It's Southwest California University Criminology course. I know you feel bad about Babs, but you don't want to take on Chapman. This guy is leading a field trip to Babs' funeral? Why? Because she was a waitress and he doesn't think she counts? Oh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, those are all kind of the plot points. Anything else from this big bomb of, oh, here's what this episode's going to be about. Well, I, I did write down. This is James Scott Rockford. Mr. Rockford found the body. Over the years, he's found lots of bodies. James Scott Rockford. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Look. Remember this guy. Yeah. There's a there's a guy who just keeps taking photos. Mm-hmm. We, we do get our types, right? So we get the, so we, the individual college kids that we are going to need to know for the rest of the episode are established yeah. here. So we yeah. have the, the, the girl who goes off with Corey. We have the other woman who like, like who saw Corey and has kind of, has kind of a sassy manner to her. We have the kid who keeps eating candy and, uh, cause he's, he's like, he's like lying down on the firebird. Yeah. He's yeah. tired or whatever. <laughs> And then we have the uh, insufferable nerd who yeah. uh, has a who's his like, own theory. I, yeah, who who has his own theory about what happened, which is counter to you know Becker's theory, which is based on evidence. <laughs> um, one of them is taking pictures. Mm-hmm. This is okay. So I'm being only because this has happened to me twice this week. Earlier, <laughs> I watched uh, earlier this week. I watched a Columbo episode, the one with Roddy McDowell. Mm-hmm. Um, Classic short fuse. Yeah, and uh, in it, he uh, is both spoiler 
the murderer. Uh, that's not a spoiler in Columbo, but um, in Columbo, whoever the the one with X in it, X is the murderer. You never refer to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. There's, it's never like you watch them commit the murder, so it's not like it's a. But um, he's in a dark room where he he creates his explosive. I don't want to get too deep into it, but the point is, is he he throughout it he has a habit of taking photos of everything, and that is kind of important for like one bit of thing happening but i absolutely thought that this habit of taking photos would have had him accidentally photographing incriminating evidence against himself Mm -hmm. and it didn't and then that primed me (laughs) for the photo taking that happens all over the place in this episode being important to the the case and it's not so right. it's just it's just 90s kids have cameras. Yeah, exactly. Instead of phones. Instead of phones, right? I guess maybe we'll talk about the kids in a minute cuz I have something to say about the Oh, okay. the, the kids. Apparently the working title for this for this movie was Field Trip to a Funeral. <laughs> That's a good title. Uh yeah, why did they change it? I don't know. <laughs> I feel like this is probably the scene around which the entire episode was conceived. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah. Like, what if Chapman brings a van load of college kids to interrupt a funeral that Jim is mourning <laughs> at? <laughs> well, speaking of mourning, we go back to the restaurant where all of her friends from the restaurant are kind of, you know, leaving flowers by her picture and reminiscing. Uh, Zuki is drinking a salute to, to Babs. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a bit of, uh, Zuki telling, telling Jim it wasn't his fault and Jim saying, I kind of feel like it was my fault. Uh, plus now there's Chapman tramping around. So so Jim, I forget how much of this is said and how much is kind of like, we just know how Jim's mind works, but clearly if it weren't for him, uh, being with Babs, then Happy wouldn't have gotten out and messed with them. Yeah. If it weren't for him following the complaint, then Babs would still be alive right like he he's like happy must have gone after her yeah like i put her in danger right um so the other waitress that we'll be talking to uh trudy is the other main uh restaurant person uh it comes up to jim and and everyone there has taken up a collection and they have six hundred dollars to hire jim to find out who killed babs and then so he kicks in another 50 (laughs) Uh, Leon has some strong words. Everybody's sad about Babs now. Well, where were you guys when she really needed you? When she was trying to put Cal through college. Where were you guys when she was working double shifts and that poor boy was hashing all night, painting houses and gardening just to make the tuition? Now he's dead, she's dead. They can't use your money and you taking up a damn collection. You people amaze me. If you've been listening to this show since the beginning, you've heard me say this several times. But, like, good dialogue often does more work than just, like, say one thing. And this is really good because it it's it hits at a truth, right? Like, we, we mourn the dead and we want to do right by them. But, like, it's the living that need our help. There's that going on. Uh, it, not to spoil anything... A little bit of a deflection, and that's yeah. good too. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also, I think, brings Jim over to accepting the case. Mm-hmm. Like I, I can imagine. Certainly, Jim was still reluctant when they were offering him the money uh, because that is just the default way that Jim works. But also, I can imagine it just being weird 
accepting money mm-hmm. from friends to investigate the death of another friend <laughs> that you probably already were kind of intending to do yeah yeah and at some point like that that's just a recipe for for broken friendships right like mm-hmm. i can't believe that guy built us out of that money especially if it's not like a thing he could do anything about because it's this right. mobster who gets away with these things so i like it is definitely a like one of the high points of this this movie here because it just pushes everything forward with this very poignant uh, statement. But also, upon reflection, uh, after watching it, has a whole nother layer to mm-hmm. it. Yeah. I, I just, it's just one of, it's a moment of craft that I really, really enjoyed. And it ends with, uh, with Leon saying, you people amaze me, as he puts another bill into Jim's hand. Yeah. Right, so it's like, <laughs> even though I'm calling you all out for this, yeah. We're all in this. We're all we're we're all on the same page about like about wanting some closure. Mm-hmm. It is never specified what Jim's rate is in the nineties. Very intentionally. <laughs> yeah, I I think in the um first nineties one, I think we did find out that he was still charging two hundred a day because I remember being like, Jim, you gotta change what you charge <laughs> But uh, I don't think that they they've specified it since then. So this is you know. Probably. I think there's there's a line in the Ed Robertson book that's like, we never decided what he would charge in the movies, but by then his rate would probably be like 350 a day. Like, yes, yeah, this is a couple days. Not that it matters. Yeah. We see this money. It doesn't come up. It does not break any friendships. Oh, this money does not break any friendships. <laughs> <laughs> let's, say, let's put it that way. Um, and uh, Jim does, as you say, he's tipped over and it says he'll take another look at her at her house. Uh, he does want to check out her locker at the restaurant and there's a diary in it. And we get the first of many uh, kind of crossfades as Jim reads a diary entry. And so yeah. this is voiceover from um, from Babs uh, of these uh, older entries. They're mostly thematic. I don't think there's any like clue. There's one. There's one like clue that gets called out later, but they're mostly giving us some emotional resonance for the next couple scenes. This is the counterpoint to what I just said, right? Like this. <laughs> so this is when the music gets very schmaltzy. Yeah. And we get soft um, focus. Uh, and it's, you know, very sentimental and it's literally only. Except for like what you said, there's like a, a clue that comes across at one point. But literally, the only purpose to this is for us to realize what a great person uh, Babs was. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm going to be critical of these. <laughs> Let mm-hmm. me just put it that way. They feel they feel like they have not aged well. Yeah, and they're not necessary. We I think we're already on board with Babs being a great person. And then because they don't do much else, this is another one of those points where in my brain, uh, because of my broken. Uh, I'm thinking all the lovely things she's saying about the the son that was murdered mm-hmm. are leading us away from the fact that he's done something horrible and put himself in this spot. Mm-hmm. It is not like that is not mm-hmm. the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just he's great. And the other kid is kind of a jackass. Right. And uh, that's apparently how it works. So, mm-hmm. um yeah, and like I said, I am critical of these diary things uh, largely because of that. It's not that they don't serve a purpose. It's just that they're not they're, – they're, they are what they are, just right on the, the tin. There's yeah, no... they, they don't serve more than one purpose. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and yeah, just stylistically, they're kind of, yeah, schmaltzy. They feel very 90s. And there's a few of them. Like it, there's a, Yeah, there's a good amount of them. They're kind of used as transitions. Yeah. Which is fine. I mean, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, they're they're not great. I get why they're there. Yeah. They don't really do it for me. They don't break it, but it is what it is. Yeah. Um, well, Jim goes to her house, which is an active crime scene, and is also surrounded by Chapman's class messing everything up. <laughs> we get a another talk with uh, Dr. George. I don't think she's ever referred to by her first name, even though yeah. they end up having a pretty casual <laughs> relationship. But I think it's Trish. Um, I just call her Dr. George in my notes. <laughs> and she apologizes to Jim for, you know, intruding on the, the earlier moment. Uh, but apparently the dean of the college, it's like Southern, I forget, it's some made up college. Um, but apparently the, the dean of the college gave control of her class to Chapman as part of whatever this deal is. Yeah. <laughs> and Chapman thinks this is an important opportunity for the class. So, you know, he's calling the shots. We continue with the, uh, as I call him in my notes, the nerd who keeps on coming up with different theories <laughs> in contravention of the available evidence. Dennis has an armful of notebooks because he's supposed to grade all these essays uh, on the, on the <laughs> yes. evidence collection uh, for Chapman. But uh. there's not much in the house. Uh, and Jim says, well, that's because it's a professional hit. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Kind of an important bit here is that outside the house, Jim encounters the heavyset kid who is sitting down and eating uh, a candy bar candy. Yeah. and dropping the candy bar wrapper on the ground and tells him that uh, he used the bathroom and it was so hot that he opened the he forced the window open because it was too hot mm -hmm. in the bathroom. This is then paid off when Chapman says there was forced entry and Jim's like, <laughs> was it in the bathroom? Because that was right. one of your kids. <laughs> and then in the backyard, there's a candy wrapper with an evidence number on it. And Jim's like, <laughs> that kid's just dropping candy wrappers. That's not evidence. Or one of them, I think Jim picks it up and then Chapman sees him and starts yelling. He's like, yeah, yes. yeah. Becca, what is he doing? What the hell is he doing? Give me a blue out here right now. Yes, Captain, sir. the lab people marked one of those candy wrappers that one of your class dropped. Well, if they marked it, then it's evidence. This is a crime scene. I don't want civilians in my crime scene. Unless they have a student body card. <laughs> but Chapman, of, of course, is driven to distraction by Jim's presence and has him arrested for interfering with the investigation and tampering with evidence and suspicion of murder. And we just get the most <laughs> Jim's low-key aggrieved Chapman. <laughs> as he's uh, led away by the uniformed cop. And then there's just this faint, someone's talking in the background. I just noticed someone just says like, you need a lawyer, Jim, like quietly yeah. in the background as we're watching Dennis. <laughs> so those are the beats. Again, fun scene. All the yelling is fun. It's a delight to watch. Uh, some good, good lines. Uh, the only thing I have to say, like the only like sort of content warning or anything is that Jim is being like, has some fat phobic language in the, in the, mm, yeah. in the scene. Uh, but uh, aside from that, like it, it is, it, it's a delight watching. I mean, one of the joys of Chapman is his double standard. Right, right. This is just a masterwork in it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think maybe this is a good time to, to talk about the the college students. So, mm -hmm. you know, as I say, there's kind of like four of them that we're going to hear more from and the rest are kind of just in the scenes. Uh, I found that the 
writing and portrayal of these students to be very bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's they're caricatures, right? Like they're there's there's such caricatures that it started to kind of take me out of the movie because it felt to me and there's more caricatures to come. We're gonna get a little more of mm-hmm. big big character displays. So it's kind of of a piece with that. But my knee jerk reaction was that these these students, these, you know, young, young adults were being written by someone who has never talked to a 20 year old in their life. It is a very okay boomer uh, script in this regard, right? Like this is, yeah. um, The movie isn't really about them, right? right? Like they're there to serve the purpose of creating Chapman Rockford beef, kind of. And then there's a little bit more, which we'll get to. Uh, But the kindest view of a kid, of, of a college age kid in this movie, is of the kid that was dead before this started. Yes, yeah, and that's it. Yeah, uh, there's there's maybe one of the students that like uh, later on like becomes. It's not a big thing, but like it's just like, hey, uh, I like this this old man's style or this right. old man's theory or whatever. Um, but most of the time. The idea is that these kids either don't care or they care too much. And that's it. Either that they don't care or that they're stupid. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know. I guess what what really, what kind of, I guess, irks me about this. And like, you can have, you know, I don't know. You can have stupid college student characters. That's yeah, fine. But I think what gets me is that in this very movie, we kind of have like, quote, like normal people. And then we have these like weird cartoons yeah. And like all the people who work at the restaurant are kind of like are written and played like people that you would meet in real life. And you'd kind of feel, you know, you feel their lived inness of the world and everything. And that's something we really appreciate about the show is most of the characters are like that. And then when we get these characters that just seem they seem like they're written without even thinking about like, huh, I wonder if someone would talk like this. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and the answer is no, no one would talk like this. Yeah. It just feels to me like because they're kids, like they kind of got like the rough writing pass of like, and they're, they're kids, who cares? Like they're stupid or they have this one character trait and that's all we need to know about them. And they're just so out of step with the average level of a side character in Ro- the Rockford Files. <laughs> that just seems like they're being deliberately written to be bad. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. I like I I think that this is uh like a weak point. But I also they're not super important. No. And, and that actually is kind of also a little bit of a weak point. There is this moment of um I I guess we'll get to it when we get to it, but like there's definitely a point where I'm like, so this this kid's this kid doesn't matter at all. Right, right. <laughs> wow. Yeah. All right, yeah. Well, this is where this first really started to hit me where I was like, these are not interesting characters <laughs> it feels like they're written by someone who doesn't want to write them i guess yeah yeah <laughs> it's like okay sure i i get your premise uh here you go yeah. here's some college kids mm. enjoy that's my steven cannell voice mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well let's take a little break uh we want to make sure that you know where you can follow all of our other projects and interests online epi where can our listeners find you uh, you can Google Epidia. I am the only one out there that I know of. Uh, you can go to digathousandholes.com. That's the number a thousand. Or you can go to worlds, plural, without master, singular, dot com and uh, find my work there. How about you, Nathan? 
My internet home for all things NDP is at ndpdesign.com. You can find all of the links and information for all of my various games, including the Worldwide Wrestling role-playing game, my zines, and uh, podcast projects, of which perhaps there may be more than one. You can also find me on Instagram and Twitter at ndpaoletta. As always, if you want more information about the podcast, go to 200aday.fireside.fm. And now back to the continuing adventures of Jimbo Rockfish. Of course, Jim's arrested, so of course we get a very much appreciated Beth appearance. Yeah. Uh, So we cut directly to Beth chasing Chapman and yelling at him what we're all (laughs) thinking. Beth on a rampage, yeah. Now let me get this straight. You're holding him for contaminating a crime scene while at the same time you lead a class full of college students through the very same location? You don't really want to read about that in tomorrow's paper, do you, Captain? God, how I used to hate it when you were doing criminal law. I thought you were out writing trashy novels now. Captain, I'll always be here to drop a flag on you. My California bar license is current, so let me fix you a reality cocktail. You keep this up, you're going to end up looking like Captain Kangaroo. She's right. He knows it. So he does let Jim go, but he threatens to dropkick him into orbit if he keeps interfering and and messing with his investigation. So we go outside where Beth dutifully relays this this threat to Jim. Jim, of course, downplays it, Uh, though Beth does kind of try to emphasize that, like, this is this is one where you might really get yourself into trouble. Um, He'll get you in jail this time or something. And Jim says, well, then you'll get me out. It's the legal line dance and kisses her on the cheek. (laughs) I really, okay. So this is what little we have of Beth in this Mm -hmm. (laughs) episode, but I really enjoyed like how utterly ferocious she's, she is with, uh, with Chapman. Mm -hmm. She like, she has this line where she's like, captain, I'll always be here to drop a flag on you. Right. (laughs) Like she just, isn't having any of it and then but then takes exactly what chapman has to say and brings it to jim and and is trying to convince jim to to stay clear of it and it's just uh i don't know, i just really appreciate uh gretchen like you know switching the character mm-hmm. this sort of 180 and um yeah no it's good uh it's it's classic beth compacted into right one one great scene. Yeah. Uh, she does end by telling Jim to eat a lot of Twinkies, which I assume <laughs> is a because when you go to jail, you can't get Twinkies. I Yeah, I was I wasn't quite sure what that one was, but assumed it meant something. We have a transition voiceover from Bab's journal, which includes nice thoughts about Jim, though ends with, I just wish you were a better tipper. <laughs> that, that line will come back. Mm hmm. And then we we get to the uh, uh, I don't know we get to the other part of the what if yes <laughs> the two tent poles for the episode so we have Chapman with a classroom of kids rolling up into a funeral and then we have Jim enrolling in Chapman's class Let's build the rest <laughs> of the episode around that uh, so Jim goes uh, to the university he wants to re-enroll he apparently did three credits in 1989 and uh, should still be in the system. And the, uh, the administrative person rolls her eyes and says something like another true seeker of knowledge. <laughs> but uh, yeah, on a technicality, he is able to enroll in this criminology class. If Dr. George signs off on it, mm-hmm. he says he needs a prerequisite. You're kidding me, right? I teach criminal science. How is introductory golf a prerequisite? Uh, both courses are about hitting defenseless objects with clubs. 
wow. <laughs> just, just wow. <laughs> Nailing it. But we see that, that Dr. George is on Jim's side because they both can agree that Chapman is a jerk. And so yeah. she gives him her signature. So we go to class where Chapman is giving the five W's uh, and asking for thoughts on suspects. <laughs> we have our know-it-all nerd um, who says that uh, he's like, this guy, Rockford, he seems like your classic not-very-smart criminal going back <laughs> to the scene of the crime. <laughs> Which, of course, is a gag because Jim is sitting right behind him calls yes. him out on it uh which is extremely good it's a little convenient that that jim this guy's suspect walks into the classroom unnoticed and sits directly behind him but uh, whatever the scene is great yeah 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 it's fine it's like eh, jim's a master of disguise yeah <laughs> he's a yeah. master manipulator <laughs> he he could probably get into that classroom without anyone noticing <laughs> um Chapman, of course, tries to kick him out, and we have all the drama around, no, no, I'm allowed to be in this class. Dr. George is there, and she's like, yep, I signed his paper. Jim then says that, well, if you're looking for suspects, uh, what about Happy Cortillo? And he lines, you know, lays out what we know, mm-hmm. and then says that he doesn't think it's a good idea to involve a bunch of students in a case with a guy known for knocking off witnesses. <laughs> So in this, so there's a lot of yelling with Chapman, right? As you might expect. And part of it involves Chapman saying that this class was assigned to study every aspect of the Honeywell murder. Right. Importantly, Jim has a tape recorder and Mm -hmm. has tape recorded uh, Chapman during the yelling. This will come up later. Uh, At the end of the class, the bell rings and Jim has a good line. Class dismissed and stay low. I loved all of the the sparring. Yeah, this is all good stuff. Uh, Jim and Chapman. It uh, it's also good, like fun to watch Jim. Uh, sort of old man these kids, <laughs> if you will. Uh, well, I guess this will come up in a moment. But like the um the the bit about tape recording him and the exact line that he delivers is a little convenient but again I'll, i'm i'll let that go just because it it produces some fun mm-hmm. stuff right like it's it's a neat uh excuse that jim has is, is has been able to mastermind here right where jim has engineered this a little bit yeah yeah i guess it's 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 a little out of character for the way jim tends to engineer things like it, it feels a little bit more uh yeah anyways it, it, you know because this is usually the kind of thing that you get from like shows about like criminal masterminds who know the human psyche so well they can get them to say anything mm-hmm. you know or something like that but uh whereas jim is just flails in his cons a little bit until he gets <laughs> what he needs so well, i think this one i think he had a plan right yeah yeah like, as this, this gets clarified for us in a minute but uh yeah also important before we move on is that Chapman, because he started the class two weeks late, he needs to write a 30 page makeup yes. paper on proper evidence collection. <laughs> Neatness counts. Mm-hmm. Now, so now Dr. George is getting kind of drawn into Jim's orbit, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, she wants to know why he's so keen to stay on the case. And we end up at the, uh, at the sandcastle with uh, Leon and Trudy kind of going through everything. And Jim explains that. Jim Rockford, the PI, has been told to stay off the case. But Jim yeah. Rockford, the student, was specifically told to, you know, he plays the tape, <laughs> investigate every aspect, et cetera, et cetera. So he asks for a special assignment, a field practicum to access and coordinate research material. You know, what does this mean? He wants to toss Babs' pad. 
<laughs> um, Dr. George says that she will, she'll give him this assignment, but only if she can go with him. <laughs> and we start to get the portrait a little bit of her being like, I'm an academic. I teach this stuff. But now, like, this is an opportunity to, like, really see how it's done. Yeah, yeah. Wonderful cut. Probably my favorite cut in the movie of <laughs> frantic knocking and Angel's voice yelling, Jimmy, open up. <laughs> We get uh, to the heart of the episode here. Mm-hmm. He comes into the trailer with this giant suitcase. Angel's outfit here. He has a loud oh. print, like blue, like aqua tone jacket, shorts, knee socks, and his long hair. It's uh, it's so good. Um, this is a uh, good, good, solid Jim Angel banter. Uh, what's in the briefcase is his new product line. No one sells it cheaper. Jim's like, oh, so you have a bunch of hot merchandise. He's like, it's not hot. <laughs> it's previously owned. <laughs> uh, but what's going on here is that Jim uh, is hiring Angel. He's going to pay him $100 to write his paper for him. <laughs> I love the whole setup here. I love everything about it. I really honestly thought Jim was going to have to write a paper while doing all of this. <laughs> mm-hmm, yeah. Um, it It's slightly uncharacteristic of uh, Jim to just straight up cheat like this but maybe not like he does run cons i feel like academic stuff it seems i i am not i was not surprised i guess let me put it that way and i would have been like why would you choose angel of all people um but it's explained right away like before he even gets into what he wants to do the angel wrote a lonely hearts column (laughs) Uh, like so Mm -hmm. it's clear that angel can write and angel can pretend to be other people or whatever so Try to make it look like I wrote it. You want her deliterate? Right. Gazing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he does say that that Angel can use his computer to write it, but he better not swap it for another one. He'll yeah. notice if if he comes home and his computer is a piece of junk. And then we end the scene with Angel sitting down at Jim's computer and saying, "Ooh, this is a honey." Yeah, that's like a little like <laughs> laptop, like one of those giant square '90s laptops. Oh, it's so yeah. Good. Uh, also, Jim Rockford, computer user. I really appreciate mm-hmm. that. He's caught up with the times. Yeah, he's always been slightly, slightly around the cutting edge of technology, right? He's got an answering machine, answering surface. Yeah, uh, yeah. Jim, Jim Rockford, computer user is very good. Yes. All right. So this, honestly, this is the most confusing part of the episode to me. So, <laughs> so Jim and Doctor George go to Babs's house. Um, they go in. There's someone in there. Jim calls out, and there's a dim shape that takes a shot. Jim Rockford is hitting the arm, and dun dun dun, it's the nerd from the class. <laughs> yes. Oh my God, I shot him. We go. We get a brief scene where Jim has to get surgery for this. I think showing us the severity of the injury, and yeah. then we crossfade him reading the diary more while he's convalescing in the hospital. And essentially, for the rest of the movie, he's going to have his arm in a sling. Um. So. Right. This kid. Why is he there? Why is he there? All right. So this is the the nerd with the alternative theory. Right. This is, I think his he has a his character's name is Tennyson Yates. Yes, it's um yeah two poets thrown together. Tennyson Keats. Yeah, Tennyson Keats. Yeah. Uh, yeah, at this point, I don't know his name. Oddly enough, my nickname for him has the same initials, which is just this kid. This kid. In all big capital letters. Uh, this kid. Yeah. This kid. Uh, um, yeah, his Tennyson Keats, which is uh, it's a beautiful name. Um, Wasted on a, on a character, yeah. honestly. <laughs> it is 
shocking. Uh, okay, the part about this that I don't get is that it just feels a little like something ended up on a cutting room floor. It feels like we're missing a scene. Yeah, because we don't see him again. He literally was hiding out on, in the crime scene in the dark with a gun. Right. We don't know what his plan was. I don't think that's ever really explained. Yeah, I don't really know. So the the portrait we have of him thus far is that he's a know-it-all and he thinks he knows what happened out of proportion to the evidence that is presented, yeah. right? So I guess you could kind of fill in the blanks of like his theory is that the murderer is going to come back to the scene. So he's going to wait to find out who the murderer is. He does suggest that that's why Jim showed up while everyone was in the crime, like investigating the crime scene. Right. Was that Cause he's that so he, stupid. He's so, he's one of those stupid criminals that comes back to the crime scene. Yeah. Uh, and he might just still be playing that and whether or not he thinks it's Jim. Right. Right. And and that he's going to uh, catch Jim and shoot him. Yeah. I but guess. Like, why does he shoot? Because Jim's like calling like he's like Jim said, you know, Jim's calling out. He's not sneaking. He's like, is anyone yeah. in here or whatever? So does he panic, I guess? I mean, he's clearly panicked. Benefit of the doubt. This is what happens is that he he brings the gun to apprehend Jim to catch him in the act and, and, and apprehend him and then just panics when Jim gets in and shoots him. None of that is 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 made text by this. Right, That's right. the problem, right? Like yeah. it, it's left a little open as to what his plan is, what his mm-hmm. you know, why he got caught up in all of this. Because uh, I certainly, I, I mean, I was never a criminology major, but um, I didn't. When I was in college, I didn't go even remotely that close to that amount of work, putting myself in that amount of danger for any, including the kendo class I took, where <laughs> we were hitting each other with bamboo swords. Moving on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so we spend some time at the hospital. Chapman comes in to hassle Jim while he's convalescing. Um, this. Pretty much just another fun yelling scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think this is kind of the last. So, like, they're paced out pretty well. I think I'm I'm good on this interaction after this, <laughs> you know. So that's yeah, well, yeah. well spotted. Uh, Jim has some good language about apologizing for getting his paper in late. It's hard to write with a morphine drip. And, uh, yeah, we end with... So Jim's eating his, like, hospital breakfast uh, during this and Chapman says something at the end as he's leaving where Jim picks up his toast as if to hurl it but uh, Dr. George who is there uh, uh, holds him back and that's just a great visual I don't I didn't make any other notes about uh, anything I don't think anything important happens in there it's just no, for fun. It, the only thing I have is just a little bit before this just before Jim goes under for the surgery oh yeah where they like the doctor lists all the things that she'll need. And Jim was like, I don't like the sound of that. <laughs> She's like, Oh, and also put this guy under. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Some fun, fun, fun comedy, fun medical yeah, comedy. Yeah. yeah. Good stuff. And, and also I do like the, uh, Doug, you don't mind if I call you Doug followed by your busted Jimbo. You don't mind if I call you Jimbo. <laughs> Just that. <laughs> That's good. It's yeah, fun. It's fun character stuff. Yeah. Okay. So Jim is checking himself out of the hospital, even though multiple nurses are trying to tell him that he's going to bust his right. stitches and get infected and stuff. And he's like, no, no, I, I'm ready to go. <laughs> There's a bit of like, well, you certainly can't drive yourself. He's like, well, I'll get something. And then as I say in my notes, the most 
weirdly attractive guy. Yeah. So <laughs> just walks up and is like, are you Jim Rockford? We're here to give you a ride. Okay. So we're going to get into this in, in a little bit here. Um, it's about happy mm-hmm. and the men in his employ. Okay. Right. So, so the deal here is that this guy says that, that Dr. George ordered a transport for him mm-hmm. and that she already paid for it. And he's like, okay, well, if someone else paid for it, fine. But then, as it turns out, they, in fact, work for Happy Cortello, and they're taking Jim to Happy's little mansion uh, to, to talk to the man himself. Um, so, as I'm watching this, I'm taking these notes. I'm like, this is the most weirdly attractive guy. I think I yeah. paused it to, like, write something down. Liz came walking through the room and went, why is he so attractive? <laughs> yes. So... <laughs> I don't mean weird like he looks weird. It's more like, where did this man come from? Like, all these normal-looking yeah. people are here. Like, I mean, James Garner is an attractive man, but, like, right. there's a difference no. between, like, 70s TV attractive. My and... notes, I said, like, is this a setup? Did, right. Did, did they get him a stripper? Right, right. To drive him? Like, that's what I... <laughs> like, it looks like... Because he comes in in the paramedic uniform, and the other guy with him is also you know, muscular or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it just, you feel like they're, they're out of like magic Mike or something. Yeah. At any moment they're going to break into they pull out a boom box <laughs> and start dancing. And this would be like angels way of like, <laughs> had to get you out of there, Jimmy or something. Like I, I was expecting like somebody to call upon some strippers to pretend to be paramedics, to get Jim out of a situation. But instead they, they work for happy and they bringing him to, they're bringing him to happy's house and happy is, surrounded by these muscular men hmm. uh which i i honestly can't tell if that's just like another character trait uh are they trying to say that that i mean happy's married but we don't know know if he's we don't hmm. meet his wife we don't know if he's happily married i don't like uh, are they trying to imply that maybe he's gay and he's got you know because it is they stand out they're they're like um it's like they're they're like soap opera star yeah kind of they're like beach body guys. So I didn't actually, now that you say it, I'm like, huh, yeah, you're right. I didn't really pick up on that outside of just mm-hmm. this guy. Yeah, well, this guy was like. Next level. Yeah, he was. He definitely was like magazine cover attractive. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, that stood out. Um, <laughs> and mm-hmm. then it turns out that they indeed are taking him to talk to Happy. And then, so he's still in a wheelchair and his arm's still all yeah. in a sling. Jim is. Jim's is, yes. Yeah. And so uh, Happy has them carry him down these stairs to like this like little poolside. His one was like really flat, like, I forget what those are called, but like the flat pool. Yeah. <laughs> There's no real barrier between the water and the land. There's just like tile around it. Yeah, yeah. Um. So this scene, where to start? First of all, we <laughs> yeah. know he's a bad guy because he has a pool. Right, yeah. <laughs> so Happy Cortello... Wants to apologize to Jim for kicking his ass, which is very funny, mm-hmm. uh, and and is willing to pay his hospital bills, but wants a favor. He wants him to stop saying that he killed Cal and Babs because he didn't mm-hmm. do it. And yes. it's like making him angry that he's getting falsely accused. During this, he's sent his goons to go find his meds. Yeah, he needs lithium. This This is a weirdly cartoonish mental illness bit where he says that he he has what's now called bipolar disorder right i used to be one of them manic depressives 
or something like that, and that he needs his lithium to even him out. And there's a running gag where his goon, uh, Nikki, I believe, keeps like leaning out of a window and being like, I can't find it. He's like, check the check the yeah. drawer in the by the, the other bathroom, like all this stuff. And he's like jittery and he starts laughing. And that's when Jim tries to t- tries to talk him down, because when he's laughing, mm-hmm. that means that he's getting excited and he's going to get violent. From, OK, so from sort of the storytelling point of view, this is a, a really interesting tension that, that like you, you as the audience know that the laughing leads to violence. Jim knows it. Jim can't help but be sarcastic. Right. Because he's Jim. Yeah, to to mouth off to to authority, uh, and it keeps getting him into deeper deeper trouble. That you can see this guy getting frantic, and also it's great because his 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 goons are getting frantic about finding the medication. Right, uh, like they, like everyone's kind of in a panic about this. All of that said, I have no doubt that this is insensitive. Like I yeah. I am I have no experience in the matter, but like looking at it, I'm 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 like yeah that can't possibly be how how it works Mm -hmm. there's a good sense of tension there's a good kind of sense of chaos which i think Mm -hmm. is important and he does end by punching jim again which i guess you know echoes the earlier scene and everything um but then his meds are found and yeah he calms down sure like i have no idea if that happens that quickly like like all of this is Mm -hmm. very uh, it's kind of of a piece with the with the with the college students to me, where it's like, is this supposed to be an absurdist take, <laughs> right, on this kind of character, or is this being written for the purposes of the plot, but at the expense of actually really caring about portraying this kind of person? And that's a little more how it feels, where it's like, oh, this will be funny, you know. There's some other episodes of the '70s show, you know. There's lots of monsters, obviously. And yeah. some of them play up having certain issues. Yeah. And sometimes it's written well and sometimes it's not written as great. So, you know, I don't know. This just is so big. Like the, the, the portrayal is also so big. Yeah. He's taking big swings with his movements and his body language and his voice. And it's just like, uh, it's a little much. It's a little much. This also has not aged well for me. Um, but yeah, the important thing here is that Cortello denies these murders and thought it was important enough that he wanted Jim to really believe him about it, right? Right. We get another diary transition. Um, Dr. George comes over to talk to Jim in his trailer. Uh, The school has closed down, or the school has closed down. The school has closed down her course. um, Yes. (laughs) For (laughs) obvious reasons. And apparently Chapman wrote a letter to the dean accusing her of letting the curriculum get out of control or something. (laughs) It's like, that sounds about right. Yeah. She asks about the diary and Jim has a thing about how Babs was a real tender soul. She really was there Mm -hmm. for everyone. And then asks, is a 10% tip too little? (laughs) (laughs) And we get, I don't know, boomer Jim. Yeah. Yeah. Dr. George explains that at least 15 20 of the service is great. Um, so this is 1996. Mm-hmm. In our post-pandemic service yeah. economy world, uh, let me amend that to 20 generally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just just 20. 20 generally, more if you can afford it. I yeah, guess, exactly. Is kind of where I'm at with most things, especially delivery services. Um, 20 is the moral floor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's... That's that's the official 200-a-day stance on tipping in 2021. Uh, the conversation is great because she points out – because Jim 
All my life I've worked, nobody ever tipped me. Yeah, but you could set your fees. Waiters and waitresses are underpaid. They depend on the tips to make up the difference. Seems like 10% is enough. <laughs> uh, and then he notices that Angel stole his computer. Yes. <laughs> uh, Jim. But he will not let this go. He wants to go check out Babs' place again, because obviously he wasn't able to that first time. But he knows that she kept a notebook with her investing, you know, when staking out Cortello and stuff. So yeah. she, he wants to see if she found out anything that would make him want to kill her. We have them going back up to the house. We have a shot from inside the house to watch them coming up so that we see over the shoulder as the 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 student from the course who was taken with Corey is, in fact, putting her clothes on as she opens the door. And <laughs> Corey and uh, this woman, I forget her name, if it's I've even mentioned, have moved into uh, Babs's house as it's his house now, I guess. I think this is Melissa. Mm, that's Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, let's see. We get a real portrait of a couple of jerks here yeah this is i think the least kindest of all of the portrayals of the youngins in this uh episode (laughs) Corey says that melissa did a bunch of work to get your blood stain out of the carpet but it's still there i'm gonna bill you for new carpet and then melissa's like you know i even wore your mom's rubber gloves and Mm -hmm. which is a weird thing to say and then there's there's a point of like you know a woman just died and right and she's like, well, I didn't know her. <laughs> and yeah, oh. it is the most like the, the youth are the problem. They don't care about anything. Yeah. Portrayal, which at least in this context, that's what that's the character of Corey that we've been seeing. So like, that's mm-hmm. fine. The writing for Melissa is very thin and very like, I am a bad person who doesn't care about anything. All yeah. Right. Her her character trait is that she likes Corey. Yeah. And that's it. But the upshot is that, you know, Jim wants to look through Babs' stuff. Corey will sell him the stuff if he wants it so bad. Uh, they have a back and forth about that. Jim has a hundred bucks on him. Dr. George is 75. Corey can't yeah. believe that Jim's such a loser that he only has that much money on him, I guess. My brother Cal used to always say you were okay, you know, but I just never saw it. To me, you're just always running in place. Why don't you give it up? Start bagging groceries. That's always good to get advice from a guy in the diamond lane to Terminal Island. It ends up costing them 175 between the two of them and Jim's watch. Right. Which he needs uh, Dr. George's help taking off his... Because right. his <laughs> arm's in the sling. Yeah. yeah. Um, so he's like, all right, I'll show you where I where I stored the stuff. And my note was like, it's in the trash, right? And then yeah. sure enough, it's just <laughs> trash bags in the carport. Um so they, they take it. There's a moment where we see Jim take the pic. So Babs had a picture of Cal, of her, you know, her murdered son in the car yeah. with her. And there's a moment where Jim takes that picture, which is, you know, it's a nice little visual of Jim. Yeah. Like, Jim actually cares, right? Yeah. We uh, have the restaurant staff looking through pictures while Jim has finally found the log and is looking through that. Then we go back to some Zuki business. Um, he asks for another drink in Babs's honor, and this mm-hmm. is when Jim tells him about the diary and that she wrote about him in her diary, and she's worried about him, uh, worried that he was killing himself drinking, mm-hmm. and says, uh, "Why don't you not have one in her memory?" And so we see Zuki perturbed by this. He leaves, but he does leave the drink behind. Yeah. Um, this whole time, there's been a couple times where Dr. George has said that they're, that Corey could have done it, right? Like, mm-hmm. that's not outside the scope of what they know. 
and Jim just doesn't believe it. Uh, and then in this scene, we get, go into that again. Jim, he's like, Corey's always been a sneak, but he's all show and no go. It just doesn't fit Jim's yeah. mental picture of him to shoot his mother in cold blood, right? Or even in, in anger. But from her little investigation log, there's six addresses that he wants to check up on. She asks how he's going to do that. He's like, what I need is a transformer. That street slang for someone willing to roll over on anyone. <laughs> do you know one of those? Intimately. Intimately. Ah, uh, it's good. So we get to see a little bit more Angel. Uh, we crash cut to Angel getting thrown into a wall <laughs> by Jim wearing his I mean serious business trucker hat. <laughs> <laughs> like the mesh trucker hat is just such a good look for him yeah uh and angel's initial squeal i almost finished the paper <laughs> uh there's a good angel jim banter including uh you know you always mess with me i've never messed with you and jim kind of shoves him okay once shoves him again <laughs> okay twice but jim he needs some info Angel, of course, says it's not free. It messes, messes with his price structure and his downstream revenue. But after Jim smushes him into a chain link fence, goes, I guess credit is acceptable. But Jim just wants to know if Happy Cortello is into anything he would be willing to kill over keeping someone quiet about. Right. Yeah. Apparently, he had the only thing that Angel knows is that he's been getting into 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 luggage, into <laughs> knockoff fashion luggage. We are deep in Rockford Files territory yeah. <laughs> now. Like, this is exactly the kind of scam that someone would murder someone over. Yeah. I think he says it's a $10 billion business. Yeah. Uh, makes more money than drugs. You make knockoffs in Mexico and they look exactly like the real thing until the weather changes and then the stitching comes out or, or whatever. <laughs> yeah. We end with a wonderful exchange. You know, this is not the way that two old friends discuss problems. Angel? My computer is back in my trailer by tomorrow noon, or you'll be discussing this problem without your bridge work. If you're interested, the paper I wrote for you is brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> and then Angel's run up those stairs to get away from Jim mm -hmm. is uh, kudos to the director and the actor. Because <laughs> that was... It's very good. It's good. It's good. Um... Jim and Dr. George go to see Dennis, who is at the shooting range. No one is wearing <laughs> PPE. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, there's no no earmuffs, no no glasses. Um, so one of the addresses is a warehouse. And so now Jim is giving Dennis uh, a tip on a warehouse. It's full of counterfeit luggage. You should check it out. And Becker's like, all right, how do I get a warrant for that? I can't just go on your yeah. say so. So Dr. George's plan is she'll go in the warehouse, mess around, someone will grab her, then it's a kidnapping, and Jim can call in the police and says it's a crime in progress. They don't need a warrant. <laughs> She's like, it's not like it's not exactly illegal. Legal. Yeah, yeah. Um, they start arguing about which one of them is gonna do the poking around to get snatched, and she yells <laughs> she yells at Jim, I'm the victim. <laughs> and then Dennis starts shooting again and muttering what sounds like Italian to himself. Yeah, that's what I think as well. They're leaving and she asks Jim, what is he saying? And I rewound this three times trying to figure out what he says. And what I hear is it's the old Rockford movie, The Victim. I don't know the, the exact wording, but what I took away, because I had trouble hearing it too. But what I took away was that Jim was fabricating uh, Dennis saying that Jim should play the victim. 
should should be the kidnapping victim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The end of the argument is that Jim should be the one who who pokes around. Yeah, yeah. I just couldn't. It, the context just was not clear to me, and I yeah. tried to figure it out, and I did not. So you're probably right. <laughs> Yeah. Um, we go to the warehouse and we have a nice gag where Jim sees he's waiting, oh, he sees a car so go in and then he starts doing stuff to get attention that doesn't get any attention. So he kicks <laughs> over a couple of trash cans then he breaks in a window with a rock. Then he has to do it again. <laughs> and we see him getting impatient, like, come on. Yeah. And then finally, sure enough, the door opens. It is Cortello's goon, Nikki, who pulls him in at gunpoint. There's guys doing something in this warehouse. Uh, there are crates that say Mexico on them. So I guess Jim was right. Um, yeah. He starts freaking out, of course. He starts laughing. Jim is trying to talk him down and he gets punched again. He falls and then he sees a candy wrapper and looks yeah. up and we see that Nikki is eating the same kind of candy that they had, we had seen from the uh, the, the overweight kid in the big dust up over candy wrappers earlier in the episode. He's like, where's that? And Cortello says something like, Oh, Nikki eats those all the time. So <laughs> turns out it was a clue after all. That's when a, a Jeep crashes through the loading door <laughs> and guys in SWAT gear oh, roll out and round up everyone, including Dennis, which is always fun seeing him in all the, all the kit. <laughs> um, Jim asked Dennis what he did with that, uh, candy wrapper and i was like it's still in my pocket at home <laughs> like well dusted for prints it's evidence and then as happy cortello is being hauled away jim looks at him and gives this really weird screechy he 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 of, of victory yeah um so that's good i guess uh we <laughs> what <laughs> no, it's just the way you, you worded that that's good i guess i guess that's um no it's fun i like that the that chapman was right that that was evidence chapman was right right, that right. they never i mean they with chapman in charge they never would have gotten here but still right here's this little bit that's like oh yeah, all right, I messed that up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, every every so often, Jim Jim does need to learn, you know, he, he does have to have his own ego deflated every once in a yeah. while, and this is a pretty yeah. good good moment. And we've we've gotten now quite a bit of angry, badass Dennis, and uh, I literally was thinking, I want to see the other side of Dennis. <laughs> well, I have good news. <laughs> so we go back to the Sandcastle where they, they including Dennis, are watching Dennis's interview on TV about uh, the arrest and everything. The aforementioned Mr. Zeno's prints were on the said aforementioned candy wrapper, which was at the scene of the aforementioned Miss Honeywell's murder, which indicated his complicity in the aforementioned murder. <laughs> we, so we get the fun, very nervous Dennis, not really knowing what to do with himself on TV, which is great. But we learned that uh, Nikki is turning state's evidence uh, in this whole case and that 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 Cortello is going to go down for for the murder of Babs, if nothing else. So Jim solved the murder and the manager of the restaurant tells him that his Denver omelet is on the house all next week. Mm hmm. Case closed. Episode done. Just because I didn't reference it anywhere in particular earlier, we've had a couple references of the restaurant barely scraping by, not really turning a profit. Like yeah. I think one was in the was in one of the journal entries, and I think we've had it in the dialogue a couple times. This becomes important later. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but this moment where he's like, it's on the house uh, all next week is a good 
Yeah. <laughs> it's not just a joke. That's actually also kind of a, a an outgrowth of the fact that right. this guy can't afford to give a free breakfast to Jim all the time. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. At the bar, Jim apologizes to Zuki for upsetting him and reads him a diary entry that was about him that he found mm-hmm. that includes the phrase that, uh, you know, she's worried about him. He's too good to lose to the dark spot inside him. Mm-hmm. And there's a moment he uh, eats his olive out of his martini, <laughs> and then he says that he's going to go home. He's had enough to drink. This is after Leon has has already put another martini next to the one he's currently drinking, right? Yeah, yeah. So he leaves. So then Jim tells Leon that he should he should help Zuki out and not enable him, right? And mm-hmm. Leon has a whole thing about how people don't change. Like, he's going to be back. He's going to want to drink. He's not going to change. Mm. Like, you have to you know, look into all these and all this business that isn't yours you're not going to change i'm going to serve drinks i'm not going to change right like it's kind of his 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 whole thing um and then i think like us we are now casting our minds back over what we've learned so far in this movie right and jim is wondering so cartillo had i mean nikki did the the killing but cartillo had babs killed for finding out about this warehouse right Mm -hmm. but he seemed really passionate about making sure I knew that he hadn't killed her son. He even said that he liked him. He was having him paint his pool house, right? Yeah. And there's no evidence about any reason why he would have killed a, killed uh, Cal. So Jim wants to find out for sure. That's still unknown. Mm-hmm. Um, Jim uh, asks for Dr. George's help in finishing out this investigation, if she's interested. They're talking over the case, and then she mentions that they haven't heard from the kid, uh... Tennyson Keats. Yeah. This is when we first hear his name and go, what? <laughs> right. What? So the the kid who shot Jim, she hasn't heard anything from him in, in two days and wonders if he's gotten himself into trouble. I mean, I guess because he did go to class, but then the class got canceled. This whole thing is very ish. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's very like, don't think about it too hard. Um, so. All right. So this, so they go to his place, his apartment, I guess. Uh, Jim goes to pick the lock, but it's already open after he explains all the careful craft you need to know about lock picking or whatever. Yeah. And then we get the ominous music as we travel with them to a fairly graphic shot where yeah. they come across him propped up in the corner with a gunshot wound in his head. Uh, and he is clearly dead. I think the purpose for this is to give some uh, credence to the idea that he committed suicide, even though there's no indication that he would anywhere in the, right. the text. But it's fine. We all know that he didn't. But for the cops to think. Right, that, right. You know. Um, and Jim, Jim's line, I'm sure getting tired of finding bodies. Yeah. <laughs> is, yeah, I bet. Uh, before calling Dennis, they look at his call, his answering machine or whatever, his phone machine, and it has a record of the last number he dialed. So they take that down as it might be a clue. And then he calls Dennis and we get our, I think our last bit with Chapman, um, cause he's on the scene yelling at Jim, <laughs> <laughs> you're going down for this one this time, you know, like mm-hmm. basically threatening to ar- arrest him for murdering this kid. Uh, and Jim's like, you better watch it for all the times you falsely accused me. <laughs> <laughs> like, you really want to haul me down for this one? And Becker's like, don't bother, Chapman. This is a, I'm calling this one a suicide. Yeah. Chapman's beeper goes off, and he says, Yes. <laughs> if I ever find the guy who wrote the department that letter about the class, I'm going to kill him. So he's apparently under some kind of, of 
I don't know. Uh, he's being he's being hassled about what a terrible job he did. I yeah. really thought that when the beeper went off, that was like he called Chapman. That was the last number he called before he died. Oh right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> no. he was kind of like a, a teacher's pet when it came right, to Chapman, exactly. right? Like yeah, yeah. But no, this is exit Chapman. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Jim and Doctor George tell Dennis that it couldn't have been a suicide because. As Jim knows from sitting behind him in class, Tennyson Keats was left-handed. Yes. Also, being shot by him. (laughs) (laughs) That too. The gun and the shot and and the wound are on the right, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, We go to the Firebird. They're wearing seatbelts. Trying to talk through who would have killed Tennyson Keats and why. It's probably not Cortello. He's in jail and his cronies wouldn't care. Like, it's not like he has people going out for revenge on his behalf. Like, he's just not that kind of guy, right? Guess we should check out that phone number that we specifically said, we should check out this phone number in the last scene. (laughs) So that takes takes us to a plumbing and heating place. Um, Dr. George's theory is that still that it was Corey. Maybe he couldn't handle Cal being liked by everyone. And that was the motive. Jim still doesn't like the idea of the family tearing itself apart about that. Uh, The guy who runs his company asked for a... $50 $50 bribe to look at his records. <laughs> and between the two of them, they can scrape together 30 bucks. Yeah. And they, precisely because they still need five for gas. Right. They're like, my tank is low, which is, I, I, you know, everyone knows that's, those are my favorite little details. Mm-hmm. But this is the, this is a place that did work for the Cortell pool house. And mm-hmm. so the guy who worked on that project remembers Cal, but only because they're the second people to ask about him in the last day. Yeah. He got a call from this kid asking about him. So Gumpy is the, uh, <laughs> this, this, I don't know, plumber that they're talking to. The long and short of it is that when they're doing the pool house job, he remembers some guy coming over to talk to Cal about something. And it was something about food, about some food mm-hmm. being stolen. They had a big dust up argument and the guy left and then... Cal was really mad about it, and then he stormed off, and then, you know, they found him dead the next day. Mm -hmm. Um, Jim asks, was the guy tall, maybe in his 40s or 50s, African-American? Which is the description of Leon. Dun, dun, Mm -hmm. dun. Gumpy says, oh, I didn't mention that? Yeah, that's right. And Jim says, no, you didn't. Thanks for your help. (laughs) The plot, it continues to thicken. Uh, This one, I will say... And I think this is a well a well done maneuvering from the the Corey character. Definitely caught me by surprise. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a twist. It is a twist. Uh, now we have our big finale. So we had the you know the thing at the warehouse that was kind of the false finish that I mentioned, and now we have our mm-hmm. our our finale, our last finish, our real finish. Jim goes to the sandcastle to talk to Leon, who is loading his uh, the trunk of his car with crates. And he starts asking, how is it that this place never turns a profit? I guess Leon, in addition to working the bar, also manages the food inventory or something like that. Yeah. And he asks Leon about, remember when we went out on your new boat last year? How much did that cost? And Leon's like, oh, I can't really remember. And he <laughs> pulls the brochure out from under his sweater that he's wearing. Yeah. He's like, well, I have it right here. And with all the stuff, all the kit that you put on it, that's $105,000 to put that in the water. Mm-hmm. How does a guy who pours drinks for seven bucks an hour end up with a $105,000 boat? <laughs> if, uh, you know, it's in Bab's diary about how they're, you know, there's, they were never turning a profit and they can never really figure out why. But if someone's managing the inventory and skimming 10% off of the, 
you know, off of off of everything that passes through, that sure would uh, add up, and that would just about eat the profit from this kind of restaurant. <laughs> so the summer that Cal died, he was working at the restaurant. Maybe he found out something. Maybe he figured out or found out that Leon was doing this. And so you went out to Cortella's house. Maybe you guys got in an argument. Maybe someone takes a swing. He hits his head. All of a sudden, he's dead. Um, I I didn't write down the exact dialogue, but my notes are like, and then along comes Tennyson Keats. He's a hateable guy, which is true. Yes. He figured it out somehow. Sure. And now he's dead. All right. And we move on. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, Leon tells him he should leave it alone and then throws a box at Jim and topples some shelves on him and runs away. Yeah. Jim says, it's no use, the cops are on the way, but we have an ominous shot of Leon picking up a crowbar, and then a slightly less ominous shot of Jim picking up a frozen <laughs> leg of meat, and there's a bit of a stalking through the restaurant. I didn't mean to kill Cal. It was an accident. That's what happens when you make the wrong things important. Now I have to kill you, Jim. I don't kill too easy, Leon. I've had better guys than you try. <laughs> another another good Rockford line. Uh, they creep around until Jim rushes him through a door, so he catches him by surprise with the opening door. They have a couple swings at each other, and then he gets him <laughs> uh, gets him with the leg of meat, and he goes down. Of course, during this this scuffle, he kind of grabs Jim's arm that was shot and gives it a good yank. So yeah, that clearly messes him up again. Um, and then, uh, he kind of has, has Leon down and they're just waiting for the cops and everybody at the sandcastle gave you the benefit of the doubt. You'd come in and growl at us. We'd smile and call you the sand crab. We were your friends. We were all wrong about you. In the very beginning, you were nothing but a mean, angry son of a bitch. Yeah. It's a good old man fight. It is a good old man fight. Lots of exhausted (laughs) <laughs> can't, can't keep going. It's good stuff. So we'll just finish out the movie with our last scene at the Sandcastle where uh, Jim's arm is all up in like traction, essentially, because yeah. uh, it got re-injured. Um, they ask if he needs anything and he says that it hurts or like if he needs like aspirin or something. And he says it hurts where pills can't help. <laughs> we have a Zuki appearance where he tells Jim that what he told him from Babs' diary really stuck with him. He just checked in with a double A program. And he's going to straighten himself out, which is great. Yeah. I have to say, I have to say, I just really like the fact that that they didn't end it with him just being like, like, oh, I've come, I'm, I'm clean. I'm sober now. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that there's a process ahead of him. It, 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 he received the first step that he had to do. Right. You know. And I think it also reflects that like you can't make someone do that. Like they have yeah. to do that themselves. Yeah, they have to. Like, you can help. Like, right. You know, but they have to make that that choice. Uh, yeah, and that's that's nice. Um, and this is kind of getting back all the way to our first scene. <laughs> Jim has a line where he says, Leon said, nobody changes. But you can do it. We all can. All we have to do is try. <laughs> and this kind of, again, link, links back to the first scene where Leon said, like, you know, nothing ever gets better for me. And Jim's like, oh, things will get better. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Their their fundamental difference in outlook is book bookends the movie, which I which I like. And we see that Jim wins. Right. Like Jim's Jim's yeah. outlook wins, <laughs> <laughs> which is why the show's named after him. Exactly. Uh, and this is also part of part of the core. Like, why do we like Jim Rockford? Like he has this very yeah. humanistic 
view where he's not always optimistic, but he is willing to give people the space to grow if they want to. Mm -hmm. Anyhow, he heads home. Zogi says uh, he comes on like a tough guy, but inside he's all warm and runny. (laughs) (laughs) Like, okay, inside he's a soft-boiled egg. Thank you. Thank you, Zogi the Bookie. And then Trudy checks the bill and says, I'll be damned. He tipped 20%. Yeah. So Uh. he's he's learned a little something himself. Um, The bill for this dinner, which presumably was him and Dr. George, I would assume, was $45.79. I I saw that as well. (laughs) (laughs) I did not do the math to see if they correctly calculated his 20% tip. I just assumed it looked about right. It was about right. I I think the 20% tip was like around nine dollars yeah which uh it would have been around ten dollars so it's close enough it's almost a 20 percent tip <laughs> uh well done jim you've learned we have a music swell as they all look at jim going back to his trailer and then we have a crossfade of babs walking on the beach to the same music swell mm-hmm. and then we kind of fade back to jim in profile and freeze frame as he smiles in profile recalling you know, the, the meaning that his friend Babs had in his life. Yeah. That's the end of the movie. I was very happy to be proven wrong about... Uh, about Cal? Cal, yeah. I was in the position where I was like, okay, so they're giving us a lot of Corey is a bad person. Right. Is this because he's the bad person? Or is it because they want right. us to think that he's a, he did it when really he's just a slimeball? Like... You know, there was enough doubt there that I was willing to go go with yeah. wherever the the movie took me. The uh, the curveball, not curveball, the the false ending. Hmm. Uh, I thought it was also good. I felt like yeah. like it was just like, yeah, wait, what? We're not done with this, are we? Like, we, there's there's more to this. Hmm. Um, and the fact that Jim had to make that decision to keep going, to keep investigating, because that's what Babs would have wanted uh, was good. Uh, yeah. All, all in all, I actually uh, uh, really enjoyed it. There, Like I said, there are definitely some really strong moments in it. And mm-hmm. then there are some moments where you're like, okay, but it doesn't, <laughs> none of them are, are detract. You know, mm-hmm. none of them are deal breakers. I think the thing that I most appreciate is that the the real story, the stuff with Leon, that feels like it worked pretty well when it very well couldn't have. Right. You know, there's kind of two stories that are stuck together. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that can be more disjointed than other times. I think this does a good job of like giving us the early setup and then we concentrate on the other story for a while and then we yeah. come back and it's kind of like Jim is still suspicious and it's like, "Okay, I see that. I'm I'm with him on that." And then yeah. you know, he 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 carries on. Um I I, man, I really feel like there's something something that got edited out about the the kid ten, Tennyson Keats because it's just like yeah, he, he shows up to do the bare minimum that he needs to do to to shoot Jim and then to die. Why was he there? Don't have a good answer. Why did he shoot Jim? Yeah, now it, and it's it's Leon that killed him, right? Yeah, and Leon killed him, and like and. The, that's a little okay. weird too. Yeah. It certainly seems that like Leon killing Cal is not premeditated. Right. Well, that's the little, that's kind of what we're given to understand, I think, which is like, that was an accident. But mm-hmm. then when he got pushed on it by this, this hateable kid who yeah. we all hate, like I hate him too. Don't yeah. Get yeah. Me wrong. Oh, like, he's yeah. a hateable guy. Um, once he gets pushed on it by that guy, he 
chooses to kill him and tries to make it look like a suicide. Mm -hmm. And so that's like the next step. So now he's like, well, now I'm a killer. And so when Jim's like, well, I figured it out too. He's like, well, I'll just kill you. It's like, where's your end game here? Like, (laughs) (laughs) so like Leon's kind of unraveling, I guess. Mm -hmm. Like there's a, there's an alternate version of this where that's the main story and the like, thing we step out to deal with and then come back from is yeah yeah you know like like we swap the focus of the two the two crimes right um which might give us more context for Tennyson keats and for leon's unraveling um yeah so i just feel like there's something yeah because it's kind of like he's looking so like the class is over but he still wants to investigate because he's a nerd and he thinks he knows Mm -hmm. what's happening then he shoots jim and then he decides to investigate cows instead of babs which i guess makes sense the benefit of the doubt is that he's still investigating to impress chapman despite the class being over because he just seems to be Mm -hmm. kind of a kiss chapman really likes him and and he's kind of a kiss up to that but the there's no incentive for him to get it right Mm mm-hmm He's painted as a character who, especially like Chapman, just says what what the easy answer is and then just kind of rides that. Yeah. So the fact that he he's on to Leon is just weird. It's just yeah. really weird. It's kind of like, what does he do? with? I mean, I guess he yeah. like confronts Leon and then Leon like follows him home and kills him or something like is it. Yeah, it's a lot of like, and don't think about it too much. We don't care. Like, that's not what we're really here for. We're here to see Jim put all the pieces together, which is fine. Yeah, we shouldn't really be harping on it because it's not <laughs> that much of the movie. I was just thinking that, like, I, I, I don't even think you need his death to push anything forward. That's kind of what I was thinking. Where it's not yeah. that it takes up a lot of screen time, but it's just like that. Was it narratively important that Jim be injured? Like, I guess it puts him yeah. in the position where he's in the wheelchair when Happy wants to talk to him, which helps create that tension because he's in Happy's power, right? Like, in, yeah. like physically. Yeah. And I guess it gives the ambulance gag with the weirdly attractive ambulance driver. Um, <laughs> but, like, those aren't really doing anything I, for... I mean, it, it's always fun to have Jim hurt. Like, that's fine. Sure. But, yeah. But <laughs> I guess it's, I guess the, the alternate version of this without that stuff is, like, Jim just gets picked up by the goons to go mm-hmm. talk to Happy, and, like, maybe they injure him in the scuffle, right? Yeah. Or something. You, I mean, you can easily have uh, the living son. Right. Corey. Yeah, because Corey's, like, moving in. Yeah, Corey could have shot yeah. him. That, was to- that would be totally in character. Yeah. Um, and then we have the... We still don't... We don't think he killed Cal. Who killed Cal? Let's talk to this missing kid who turned out he got murdered and he called a number that we then follow up on. And that yeah. gets us to, to who killed Cal. And it's like, and we don't know how he got that number, but it, he could have gotten it the same way Jim could have gotten there by talking to the employer. Let's go back to basics. You know, who was he working yeah. for when he did the thing? Maybe whoever was working with him there said, saw something. And that's yeah. how we get there without having this character in it at all. <laughs> so, you know, we're, this is Sunday quarterbacking, not Sunday armchair quarterbacking. Yeah, our Monday, Monday, Monday quarterbacking. Quarter. I think it's both. But welcome to 200 a Day, the podcast where we rewrite the 90s <laughs> movies yeah. about the 70s detective show. Uh, all that aside, uh, it was fun. <laughs> I, I, I mean, it comes as a recommend uh, to Rockford Files fans uh, for me. I don't feel like it's it felt like a Rockford Files. Yeah, it feels like a Rockford Files story. It has a good like, let's 
hang out with Jim while he does his thing. Yeah. The last couple of movies have been very angel heavy, which is fine because yeah. angel's great, but also kind of at the de- detriment of like Jim doing stuff. A lot of yeah. it is Jim managing angel. This is the perfect amount of angel. We never yes. know if he gets his computer back. <laughs> Guess we'll have to watch the, the the next movie. The next one. Yeah. Yeah. It has some stuff that's that kind of stuck in my craw just about like the writing the of the kids and stuff like that. But yeah. I don't know. I guess you're not gonna you know, you can't bat a thousand, so Yeah. What are you gonna do? Um but yeah, the the good stuff is very good. Yeah. I'm I'm Agreed. comfortable saying that. And yeah, speaking of being comfortable saying things, I think I am ready to be done talking for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> So do you have any other uh, thoughts or notes about friends and foul play? <laughs> I, too, am comfortable with not saying any more. All right. Yeah. Well, thanks for hanging with us. And uh, we will be next time with an episode of the television series, <laughs> The Rockford Files. <laughs> I don't know how to do yeah. the guitar. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> There's a little guitar riff in it. I don't know. Bow, 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 bow.